Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Mayalis, and in this podcast, we ponder new the ancient stories of Scripture. And this is the second podcast here of our Lent 2023 uh, series. And in this, we're looking at Jesus' encounters with people in the Gospel of John. Uh, and this week, we're going to go to arguably the most vulnerable of relationships, uh, parent and child. In some ways, the most solid, but, but also some of the most tender, um, the, the most anxious-producing uh, relationship we have as humans uh, between the parent and the child, and explore uh, that this week as Jesus interacts with his mother in his first miracle, turning water into wine. And so without further ado, let's get pondering. It's me. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. There's all sorts of stuff we can get into, but what I really want to focus on today for us is the the interaction of Jesus and his mother. And it might seem like a very strange place to reflect on vulnerability. And that's what we're doing this Lent as we um, look at these these stories of Jesus interacting with people in the Gospel of John. And just a, a review again, Lent is this season in the Christian church leading up to the cross and the resurrection, and it's a season typically of penance, of repentance, of, of fasting, and, and all of these ways are a way of not simply self-denial, but a way of acknowledging our need for God's grace. I mean, what is confession? What is Ash Wednesday's confrontation with death? What is the cross? But this grand humbling reminder of our need for God's grace in our lives. And so this, this Lent, we're on a journey to the cross as always. And this year we're emphasizing and thinking about the, the vulnerability that, that this calls for and that really Jesus invites us into. And again and again in the interactions of Jesus with people, Jesus has a way of, of getting right to who people are and, and then getting to that spot of vulnerability and then moving out of it back towards uh, grace and goodness and new life. But uh, <laughs> it's a little bit tricky in this story, right? Because it's his mom. 
And we would often think of children as the one being vulnerable. You know, vulnerable, uh, you know, impressionable young people. You think of kids and their, their vulnerability to, uh, to get hurt, to make bad decisions. But, okay, fine, that's true. And, and obviously, again, in some ways, the younger the child, the more vulnerable they are to, uh, to all sorts of things. However, however, I think there's a reality that being a parent is in many ways more vulnerable than being a child. Because as a, as a parent, first of all, the physical vulnerability of the child is an emotional vulnerability for the parent. What I mean is that as a parent, there, or anybody who's been in a caregiving responsibility, whether it's a, a teacher, a grandparent, an aunt and uncle, uh, or, um, but, but when you're in these, these positions of responsibility, uh, like a parent for a child, you, you feel such an intense bond with the child and that their illness, their hurt becomes our own. And in fact, this is why parents are so crazy is because we will do anything to avoid our children getting hurt precisely because it just hurts so much when we see them. And if you ever want to sort of be on somebody's unforgivable list, hurt their children. Right? This is, again, we can forgive people for hurting us, but oh man. So there's a, a clear vulnerability that when our children are hurt or wounded, mocked, made fun of, teased, bullied, don't make teams, right? get rejected from colleges, all of these, you know, get dumped, get cheated on. I mean, all of this stuff that happens to kids, or whether they're little, little, or they get older, that as parents, it's just so hard uh, for us. Um, so there's a real way in which the very vulnerability of children uh, causes and, and leads to profound vulnerability for adults in that child's life, especially the parents. But I think it also um, goes um, to, to another kind of vulnerability. And, and that is that the, when a, a child, okay, there are some children that don't have good relationships with their parents ever. Uh, and there are some times where children may have an acute sense that they're not loved by their parents. But this is generally the exception. Most children, most children and even teenagers, know at their core that their parents love them, especially their mothers. When, when people don't have a sense that their mothers love them, that's really when things get, get hard for people. Um, and that's, sort of, that, that's you know, years of counseling and all sorts of other stuff that happens in people's lives. So again, we, we have almost, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of humans have a rock-solid sense that their parents love them. Even if there's conflict, but again, they know that their parents love them. But the other way around is, is, is far less secure. I think a, a lot of, of parents wondered the extent to which their children love them. And not so much when they're, they're younger, right? That's when the physical vulnerability gets us. But, but when, we, when they get older, uh, children necessarily, almost axiomatically, at some point rebel against their parents, push back. And in fact, some ways, the, the, the more loving of the parent, the more the child pushes back. 
to sort of find their own sort of identity, um, to, to sort of become sort of at some level an adult. And, and what this means then is that the parent has the vulnerability to the, the child, for the child to reject the parent and the parent's love, the parent's wishes. There's all, I think, at some point in our lives to, we've all, we've never had sort of, you know, it's rare in life when, when parents say to the children, you know, I'm, <laughs> you know, something cruel, but it's pretty common though when especially teens or young adults say something really mean to their parents. Again, it can happen the other way, but I just want to say to be a parent is actually a very vulnerable thing. So now let's think about Mary. So Mary here has two vulnerabilities. She's got the, she, she has the sense from very early on that, that Jesus, something is going to happen to him. Uh, you read everything that's happened in, you know, Matthew and Luke's gospel about Jesus as an infant, and it points to, in some way, Jesus suffering. Um, some, not in a crucifixion, the crucifixion may not have been pointed to, but, but I think she has a sense of, you know, just like a normal parent, but extreme, like, my, my child is sort of destined for, for something, and that, that may put him in harm's way, in real danger. You're not getting myrrh as a Christmas gift, you know, sorry, as a, as a birthday gift, if there's something not going to happen with your kid. But the second thing is that you wonder how profound Mary's fear of Jesus' rejection is. Because you're, you know that Jesus has this special mission in life, that that he's somehow going to be something that that you are not. That this is a case where the parent knows the child will transcend the parent, and and I wonder if Mary sort of has this sense of like, to what extent will she have her child? What to what extent will her son Jesus actually uh, love her back as he begins to have just such a profound sense of calling? So we see this. Uh, so. Okay, so that so that's the sort of this emotional context as a parent, and I you know invite you to think as I'm sure you have been about the vulnerability you've had within your own parent and child relationship, um, where again all of us have had parents, and and how has sort of again that that vulnerability worked both ways in your relationship, and then if you have children or if you have again children you've had to care for intimately, how has the vulnerability played itself out within? Uh, that relationship as as well. So so we have these again these intensely sort of the the, the reality of vulnerability from the family. Uh, then especially the case of Mary and Jesus because of her sense of his you know unique calling in life, and then the specific reaction now of this story. What's also going on here is not simply this interaction between a mother and a son but between two community members. Because this is a wedding, and, you know, today there's maybe some hemming and hawing in every family over who gets invited, but in a small town, you know, in ancient, you know, Israel, I, I, I don't think you really cut a lot of people out of the list because you're all neighbors. You all know each other. You're practically all related anyway. So I, you, you kind of have to, it's, it's a town event, this this wedding. And so, when Mary says to Jesus, there's no more wine, this isn't uh, simply a, a statement of like, well, hey, you know, I'd really like, I really love this party, Jesus, like, I could use another round. This is, uh, it's at a different level. It's at a, 
Jesus, my son, you know that the, the, the family that threw the, the party doesn't have a lot of money. And they had hoped that people wouldn't drink as much, but they did. And now they're going to be royally embarrassed. There's going to be a shame upon this wedding now. Right? Or maybe even more deeply, there's going to be shame upon our village as all those who came to us and saw the way that we didn't understand the situation and we overdrank this poor host's family. Like when you, 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 and a shame on our society, it's, people are so much more aware of, of these things and reputation and, and so forth is for your family, for your, for your village and, and, and all this stuff. So there's a, a crisis that's going on, not just that the party can't go on, but the reputation of, of one family, uh, the bride and the groom, if, if not even the, the whole of, of the village is sort of at stake here. What I find uh, interesting to contemplate then is, is Mary points out a social problem. And, and the question is, is Mary doing so in a way that is complaining or accusatory or is it out of vulnerability that is accompanied by strength? Because in our society, we have no, we have no limits on, on people's capacity to point out problems. I, I remember a few years ago, they, Microsoft had an AI uh, thing on Twitter. They sort of created a Twitter human um, as an experiment. And within, you know, four or five hours, this thing was just spewing out negativity and hatred everywhere, and they had to shut it down. It was like it was learning hatred online, and it was spewing it back out. Again, we're so willing to criticize and to tear down. But I don't think Mary here is, is actually tearing people down. She's rather giving voice to the, to the problem. And I'm gonna, I would like to argue that it's taking great strength of her to be willing to name the truth um, but not do so in an accusatory way. And what a difference it would make in our families, in our communities, uh, in, the, in the groups we're a part of, in our workplaces, in our, our houses of worship, in our whole political system. If people were able to acknowledge problems, in this case even bring them to the Lord, but not do so in a way that has a ton of accusation, um, more in a way that just acknowledges the, the, the vulnerability, like what the problem actually is. And so I'm wondering if in your community, how do you see this dynamic of sort of complaint versus a sort of an acknowledgement of vulnerability? How does that play itself out in your family, in your workplace, um, in other groups you're a part of, in the and in more broadly in our society, and what might it take for us to get to a point of sort of more in that, not just even problem solving, but just less accusatory, hey, what, this is, this is the problem. My sense is that it takes a tremendous amount of strength, and this is a revelation, too, about Mary's character, that uh, Mary is a strong character here to be willing to sort of, um, sort of voice what's going on without sort of making lots of accusations. Um, and she's doing here a, really a model of discipleship, of, of petitioning her, her Lord uh, to, to, uh, to, to take the problem and, and to move it ahead. Jesus hears this lament, this request, this prayer, um, 
this command uh, from his mother. Um, and his first reaction is, um, you know, one of sort of indignation that this isn't really what he's here for. And this goes back to then that vulnerability of parent and child, where the child is finally saying to the parent, you, you don't know me as well as I know myself. And, and I think in a parent-child relationship, as you get older, I think this really does become a key question. Who, who knows the child better, the child or the parent? And at some point, it switches to the child knowing better. Um, but, but that's a long journey. And sort of here we see this sort of turning point in Mary and Jesus's relationship now where Jesus says the child is going to say, hey, I, I know myself better than, than you know me. I know my, my fundamental purposes. There's a mystery then of, of why Jesus chooses to respond and know the miracle. But I want to sort of, uh, and, and again, that Jesus sort of turns then a sort of a, a problem in, into something that's really amazing. And what we, what we see then is that this vulnerability, this, this vulnerability of Mary in going before, on the one hand, her son, but also going before God and saying, this is the, the situation, leads and inspires, moves God into action. And this is something we see a lot in the Bible where when people begin to open up, uh, whether it's they open up about their sins that they might receive forgiveness, and they open up about the community's needs that they might have restoration, and they open up about their fears that they may uh, find a, a way forward, that so often the, the road to a new creation, the, in this case the new wine, the, the road to God's miraculous deeds, is, is often paved with, with human vulnerability, uh, a human vulnerability to go before God uh, in these relationships in life, in our community, and, and to put forward and say, Lord, this is, this is what the problem is. And of course, then there's you know later steps about obedience and, and humility. Um, yeah, again, the obedience. But, but at this point, I just want to say that um, this story is, is sort of paradigmatic of, of so many other stories in Scripture where it's a, a, a human vulnerability that I would argue grows out of a sense of security of who God is, but, but that human vulnerability. And that's why, you know, when we start our worship services, um, we, we I'll often say, you know, we worship in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to remind us all that we're baptized, that we're loved by God. And then this can give us the, the strength the courage to confess our sins, and then we can sort of uh, really enter in into worship. I think this is also what Lent is about, then, is, is knowing that, that Jesus is going to go to the cross for us here. How can then we open ourselves up to the, without um, getting mired in sort of guilt and shame, but to acknowledge where uh, ourselves and our community where, where there is no more wine, <laughs> where there are real problems, where there is no more joy, where there is no more celebration, where there's potential sort of fracturing uh, in ourselves and in our society. So my hope is that uh, this Lent and this podcast can help uh, get us sort of in touch with our vulnerabilities, but in, in a way because this is a, a necessary step on, on the path to new creation and healing and God's miraculous deeds.